chapter 28, Ezekiel chapter 28, and tonight the chapter deals with the downfall of the king of Tyre, the downfall of the king of Tyre. Here in chapter 28, we find the judgment of the prince and the king of Tyre and Sidon, the prince of Tyre and the king of Sidon. The prophecy against the prince and the one who's behind the kingdoms of the world is Satan. So this prophecy is against the prince and the one who's behind all that goes on in in the evil world and, and behind the kingdoms of the world is Satan. It looks like Ezekiel here is talking to two different people in these verses. The prince of Tyre in verses 1 through 10 and then the king of Tyre. In verses 11 through 19. Now the first speech is a message of divine judgment. The second one is more of a a lamentation or an expression of grief. But both of these people were guilty of having a lot of pride. Due to their wisdom and their wealth. And they both abused their privileges and, and they offended the Lord. The prince of Tyre even claimed to be a god. But foreign invaders would destroy the prince of Tyre, according to verses 7 through 10, while the Lord himself would judge with the king of Tyre, in verses 16 through 19. The prince is called a man, in verse 2, but the king is called the anointed cherub, in verse 14. Now some say the prince of Tyre is the ruler of the city, when King Nebuchadnezzar invaded. But they see the king of Tyre as Satan, the enemy of God and the Jewish people who empowered the prince and used him to carry out his own evil purposes. So verses 1 through 10 covers the prophecy against the prince of Tyre. As we know, rulers are responsible for the character of their kingdom. In the case of Tyre, the arrogance of the nation was a reflection of the personal pride of the ruler. And you see, when a, when a, when a, a ruler, you know, you know, is evil and wicked and passes legislation and laws and everything that are evil and wicked. You see it in, in society. You see it in the people. Let's begin with verse now, chapter 28. And it says, The word of the Lord, Ezekiel speaking, The word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel again, saying. So even though he wasn't mentioned by name, the prince of Tyre during this time was Ethbaal the second. Look at verse 2. So again, verse 1 says, The word of the Lord came to me again, saying, Verse 2, Son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, Thus thus says the Lord God, Because your heart is lifted up, and you say I am God. I sit in the seat of gods, in the midst of the seas. Yet you are a man, and not a God. Though you set your heart as the heart of a God. So Tyre's ruler was guilty of the same pride and self-exaltation as the people. The prince's pride, that is the leader of Tyre, was because of his heart. Self-willed. The word heart here refers to the mind or the will. And it was the pride of self-will that made him think, as he says, God says, hey, you, you, you say you're a God. And the last part of the verse gives a little insight on how you get to this place. His arrogance made him think of himself as a God. He says, I'm a God. Though he, God says, though you set your heart as the heart of a God. 
So his decision to think of himself as a God was determined by his own intellect and his own self-will. His assumption about his position was strongly and immediately opposed, as we see God speak here. God says, you're a man, not a God. He never was nor ever could be anything but a man. The problem here is pride. And you know what? It is a sin that God hates. In Proverbs 6, 16 through 17, it says, These things, these six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look as the, is at the top of the list of those seven things that God hates. He hates pride because, you see, it keeps us from God, probably more than anything else. The prince was proud of his wisdom and his wealth, according to verses 3 through 5. And because of his pride, he exalted himself as a god. But God would prove that he was just a man because he would be killed and he would, and he would die just like any other man. Look at verse 3. Behold, you are wiser than Daniel. In other words, he's saying, Behold, you think you're wiser than Daniel and that there's no secret that can be hidden from you. For your wisdom and your outstanding, you have gained riches for yourself and gathered gold and silver into your treasuries. So he thinks he's wiser than Daniel and that nothing can be hidden from him, that he knows all things. Daniel now was an exceptional man. Daniel was known for his wisdom and Daniel was alive at this time. He was a co-laborer. Daniel was a co-laborer with Ezekiel living in Babylon. And when King Nebuchadnezzar had this dream, had his dream, this, this you know, golden figure, he called all the wise men together to interpret his dream. But none of them could do it. But Daniel, man, he was, he was able to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And he said in Daniel 2.8, he says, There's no man like Daniel and the God of Daniel who was able to interpret dreams. So he promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Let's read verse 4 again with verse 5. With your wisdom and your understanding you have gained riches for yourself and gathered gold and silver into your treasury. By your great wisdom in trade have increased your riches and your heart is lifted up because of your riches. So the king of Tyre did have wisdom. But it was in making money. And he was no doubt a sharp businessman. And he knew how to buy and he knew how to sell. But because of his material success, he'd gotten puffed up. He'd gotten prideful. And he became self-sufficient. But in Deuteronomy chapters 17 and 18, God warned Israel in the wilderness about this kind of arrogant self-sufficiency. God says, then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, because it is he who gives you the power or the ability to get wealth, that he may establish or fulfill his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. That warning was also appropriate for Tyre, the city. Even though wealth isn't in and of itself evil or wrong, it has the potential to destroy a person if they don't recognize it, that it's a blessing and a gift from God. In Daniel chapter 4, verses 30 through 31, remember when King Nebuchadnezzar looked out across the city? Here's what he said as he's looking across the city. He says, look at this great city of Babylon. And he says, by my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city. 
as my royal residence. He said, to display my majestic splendor. And while these words, it says, were still in his mouth, a voice called down from heaven and said, O King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. And God allowed him to become like an animal and to live in the wilderness for seven years. And then down further in verse 34, it says this. After this time had passed, this seven years, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven where he heard that voice. My sanity returned and I praised and I worshiped the Most High and I honored the one who lives forever. His rule is everlasting and his kingdom is eternal. You know, God you know, used that seven years in the wilderness with, with Nebuchadnezzar and he learned his lesson. And sometimes God allows us to go into the wilderness for times, you know, so that we will see who is boss, who's, who's the majestic one, you know, who, who calls the shots. Look at verses 6 through 8 now. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have set your heart as the heart of a God, behold, therefore, I will bring strangers against you, the most terrible of the nations, and they shall draw their swords against the beauty of your wisdom and defile your splendor. They shall throw you down into the pit, and you shall die the death of the slain in the midst of the seas. Now, here's the punishment of the prince. The last line from verse 2 says, Though you set your heart as the heart of God, that is, you set your will as the will of God. You know, you, you act like you know what's going on. You want to, you, it's your will, and call it the will of God. Because of the ruler's arrogance, judgment will come upon the kingdom as well as on its ruler. In Ezekiel 26, verse 7, Earlier, God said this, I will bring against Tyre from the, northern, uh, from the north, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and an army with many people. God promised that these soldiers, who were known for their cruelty, would destroy the city and bring its ruler down to the pit. Verse 8 says, verses 9 and 10. Will you say before him who slays you now, am I a god? Uh, but you shall be a man and not a god. In the hand of him who slays you, you shall die the death of the uncircumcised by the hand of aliens, for I have spoken, says the Lord. Another question follows verse 9. When the prince of Tyre was finally ruined, the stupidity of his claims to be a god would be clear even to him that he was not a god. The word saying the prince would be like the uncircumcised in verse 10 was a statement of hatred that was used for somebody whose dead body was treated with disrespect and it was left unburied. Ungodly nations are led by ungodly rulers. These self-made, wise-in-their-own-eyes kind of leaders, they promise a lot, but they don't deliver anything that's worthy of eternal life. Verses 11 through 19 now covers the final lament or this expression of grief for the king of Tyre. Now, in these verses, 11 through 19, several interpretations have been suggested for these verses. The figurative language is understood in different ways and the source of the images. Now, some of these figures are just figurative. They're symbolic, describing the king of Tyre using different images, and they're stated in bold and exaggerated words. Others identify the form uh, uh, here as an allegory or a story where another real or simply familiar character, such as Satan or a pagan god, is the one that's directly addressed here. So making the connection to the king of Tyre more implied 
more suggested than a sure thing. So the difficulty of the text, you know, it, it, it makes it, you know, not really a wise thing to do to be dogmatic and insist on a particular interpretation. But the later one, the traditional view seems to be, again, that it's Satan uh, is the best explanation for the language and the reason of the passage. So let's begin now with verse 11. Moreover, Ezekiel says, the word of the Lord came to me saying. So Ezekiel is not going to let anybody forget, hey, I'm not telling you this. I'm not giving you my personal opinion here, but he's giving God's message. So we have, we've had a lamentation. We've had an expression of grief for the city of Tyre. We've talked about the prince of Tyre. And now we come again to the lamentation of the king of Tyre. Immediately, we pass beyond the current king of Tyre. There were many of them in those days. Because it wasn't safe to be a king in those days. You were always looking over your shoulder for the next guy who wanted to take your job. Your head was always on the chopping block. So your glory, you know, as a king didn't last long. So behind the kingdom of Tyre is Satan. Ezekiel 28 is one of the few passages in the Bible that gives us the origin of the devil and evil. And again, uh, we need to read carefully these words. Look at verse 12. Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Satan, it says here, again, uh, is, which is, I believe, the, 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 the best, you know, again, interpretation. Um, it says Satan was full of wisdom. The wisest creature that God ever created. Genesis 3.1 says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Now, Satan is not a creator like God. He's not like God. He's not even comes close to being like God. He, he is not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. He's not, not, not omnipotent. Satan is just a, cum, a cunning imitator who disguises his character. When Satan came into the Garden of Eden, he used the body of a serpent. One of God's creatures that God had pronounced in Genesis 1.31. Very good. You know, we look at serpents, we look at things like that and say, oh, that, that's, God says, hey, everything I've created is very good. It's man who takes it and messes it up. Eve didn't seem to be bothered by the serpent's presence. You know, you look at snakes today and everybody, oh, you know, I hate those things. She didn't seem to be bothered by the presence of the serpent. She didn't seem to be bothered that it spoke, that it could talk. So it's... Same, seems safe to say that she didn't see anything threatening or scary about her encounter with the serpent. Maybe Eve had been one of, you know, had, hadn't seen one of these things you know, before and thought, hey, well, this is normal. It, it, you know, it can talk. So again, it, it, it didn't trouble her. Again, Satan is still today the great impersonator. He has produced a counterfeit righteousness without the righteousness that comes only by faith in the Savior. Satan has false ministers. They preach false gospels. He has false brothers and sisters who oppose the true gospel. The devil has gathered his counterfeit Christians into false churches that God calls in Revelation 2.9 synagogues of Satan. And in these gatherings, Satan's deep secrets are taught. Remember, 
that Satan is a created being. He's not an eternal being. He was created. And it says that he was created in perfect beauty. He was perfect in beauty. In beauty. Usually everybody, like I said, pictures Satan with horns, you know, a pitchfork, a forked tail, cloven feet. Now this picture comes from Greek mythology. The Bible doesn't describe Satan that way. The Bible says he was perfect in beauty in verse 12. In other words, if you could see him, you would see one of the most beautiful creatures that you've ever seen. Paul said in 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen through 15, Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Here in verse 12, Ezekiel says, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Now, what was it that brought Satan down? Well, we'll see when we get to verse 15. Notice verse 13. He says, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardius, the topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. Ezekiel says of him, you were in the garden of God. You were in Eden. Now, no king of Tyre has ever been in the garden of Eden. Every precious stone was your covering. In other words, every precious stone was his clothing. He was adorned, Satan was adorned with every precious stone. So you can imagine what a beautiful creature he must have been. And then in verse 13, he goes on to say, The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day that you were created. Before Satan fell, he had an important part in the music of heaven, surrounding God's throne. Isaiah 14.11 also mentions stringed instruments associated with Satan before he fell. Now some take this to say that, that Satan was the worship leader in heaven. Because there are worship songs mentioned in the Bible in Job 38.7, Revelation 5.9, 14.3, and 15.3. If you go back and you look at the genealogy of Cain in Genesis 4.21, you'll see that music originated with the descendants of Cain. It says, Jabal's brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who played the harp and the flute. And some of the music that you hear today, hey, you can be sure it was made by Satan. You know, some of the lyrics and just the music and, and the things that are said, it couldn't come from any other place. So Satan, you know, it, it, based on and what it says, he was a musician. Look at verse 14. You are the anointed cherub who covers. It says, I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. Satan was the anointed cherub who covers, it says here. Now that means he protected God's throne. This is not the Eden that was on earth. But it seems to be a picture of heaven itself. Satan had access to heaven. And we saw that in the, in the, in the book of Job. Job 1, 7, you know, the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Look at verse 15. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until iniquity was found in you. Think of it. Satan protected God's throne. He had the highest position that a created being could have. Again, what was it that brought him down? 
Now, Ezekiel doesn't tell us, but Isaiah 14, 12 through 15 does. Listen to Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. It says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into the heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farther sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. Notice the five I wills of heaven. It was, it was, his, it was his will, his desire to be like God, to, to, to sit in the heavens like God. The name Lucifer in verse 12 is Latin for morning star. And it suggests that this glory of Satan or Lucifer, it didn't last very long. The morning star, you know, again, shines, all right, but it soon disappears when the sun comes up. So Isaiah the prophet saw something in this event a lot deeper than the defeat of an empire. In the fall of the king of Babylon, he saw the defeat of Satan, the prince of this world, whose goal it is to energize and motivate the nations, the, the leaders of nations. And man, we see that big time today. Daniel chapter 10, verse 20 suggests that Satan has assigned princes or fallen angels to the various nations so that he can influence leaders to act contrary to the will of God. Satan, the highest of God's angels, tried to take the throne away from God and take it for himself and also the worship that belongs only to God. The name Lucifer, again, morning star, it, it, it indicates that Satan tries to imitate Jesus Christ, who is the bright morning star. Satan said, I will be like, notice, I will be like the Most High. This shows us his basic plan, his basic strategy, because he's an imitator. He's like the king of Babylon. Satan will one day be humiliated and defeated. He's going to be cast out of heaven, Revelation 12 says, and he will be finally cast into hell, Revelation 20.10. Now, whether God is dealing with kings or angels, Proverbs 16.18 is still true. Pride goes before destruction and a, and a haughty spirit before a fall. You see, the thing that brought Satan down was pride. And pride has brought down a lot of people, high and low people. Satan wanted to lift up his throne. He wanted to separate himself from God, and he wanted to be God. He wanted to be independent of God. He wanted to act independent of God. He was in rebellion against God. And this is what Satan wants you to do. And it started with Eve. You know, when he, he, he began to, 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 you know, cause Eve to doubt God's word. Did God really say? And she knew what he had said. He told her, don't eat of that tree. But when he says, did God really say that? Instead of saying, hey, God said. Like Jesus said in the wilderness, thus it is written. She began to, hmm, to entertain the thought. And you know, that, that's, that's what we do a lot of times. Well, maybe God doesn't really mean what he says. And maybe it's not as serious as we think it is. Maybe, you know, what if? And, and, and that's when we get into trouble. Instead of saying, hey, God said. 
Now, we've lost the expression, thus says the Lord today, and we listen to all these other voices in the world that are speaking all kinds of things. And then we fall into the, into the trap. Satan wants us to be independent. He wants us to act independent. He wants us to rebel against God. And, and, and unfortunately, a lot of people fall for that. You see, when, when, when Eve began to doubt God's word, Satan had her. She was totally disarmed against Satan. Without the word of God, man, in our hearts and, and, and the Holy Spirit bringing up the scriptures to us, we're not going to win the battle. Let this be a warning to Christians tonight who think they, are, they have arrived. Oh, I've been a Christian for, you know, 40 years and I, I've read the Bible many times and who think that, you know, they're perfect, they're strong and, and you know, and they've set their own standards. Remember, Satan was an angel of light and he fell. It says he was perfect. But he fell. So if Satan could fall, and he did fall, what about you and I? Hey, we're only frail human beings. Puny flesh. We are but flesh. And God cannot and will not and does not tolerate, re- tolerate rebellion. So what's he going to do? Tells you in verse 16, notice. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. Here it is. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. So what did God do? He judged Satan for his sin and he will judge all men for their sin. Nobody will get away from that judgment. Look at verse 17. He says, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. So he tells Satan, your heart was lifted up because, you were, because of your beauty. Pride. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. Solomon, the wisest man on earth next to Jesus, he also played the fool. And here we see the greatest creature that God ever created, perfect, filled with wisdom, filled with all that could be learned. He played the fool. So understand, God's children can do the same today. God said, I will cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze upon you. Hey, God is going to make a spectacle out of Satan one day. Look at verse 18. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, by the the iniquity of your trading. Therefore, I brought fire from your midst. It devoured you, and I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. So Satan was made a terrible example of divine vengeance. Again, verse 18 said, God reduced him to ashes on the ground. For everybody to see. For all those who are watching. Verse 19. All who knew you among the peoples are astonished at you. You have become a horror and shall be no more forever. So at some time in the future, man, God's going to get rid of Satan. He's going he's to get rid of Satan in his universe. Something that, that we're all waiting for. I mean, we wish he would get rid of him now. But again, not part of God's plan. 
Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, the devil who, who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Can you imagine? One day it's going to come to pass. Again, in the, in the bottomless pit forever and ever. Look at verses 20 through 24. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, set your face toward Sidon and prophesy against her and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Sidon. I will be glorified in your midst and they shall know that I am the Lord. When I execute judgments in uh, in her and and, and am hallowed in her. For I will send pestilence upon her and blood in her streets. The wounded shall be judged in her midst by the sword against her on every side. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. Verse 24. And there shall no longer be a pricking briar or a painful thorn for the house of Israel from among all who are around them, who despise them. Then they shall know that I am the Lord God. Now here in verses 20 through 24, judgment now is pronounced on the city of Sidon. But... It wasn't total destruction. He says that there's going to be blood in the streets and that's exactly what happened according to history. He says, all who knew you among the peoples, they're astonished at you. Those that know him shall be astonished at him and they're going to wonder how could somebody that stood so high be brought so low. Isaiah 14, 14 says, Those who see you will gaze at you. Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms? You'll see Satan one day and go, is this him? Is this, this is a puny little thing that, that did what he did to the earth? Who made the earth tremble and, and who shook kingdoms? The king of Tyre's palace, like the temple of Jerusalem, when it's destroyed, it shall be an astonishment and a hissing to the people. And it happened just as God said it would. The king of Tyre fell. And it's interesting to know that Tyre, The well-known city and capital city was destroyed. It was scraped like a rock. Never to be rebuilt, God said. But Sidon, you know, just 15 miles away from Tyre, was also judged, but it wasn't totally destroyed. So Tyre was totally destroyed, would never be rebuilt. Tyden was, was, was judged, but not totally destroyed. And the city, the city of Sidon exists today. It exists today. Sidon is a place where oil is brought in from the Near East and it comes by pipeline and it's loaded onto ships. Sidon is a thriving port. While down the coast, 15 miles away, Tyre is lying in ruins just like God said it would. It's just a little fishing vessel now where the fishermen lay their nets on the rocks to dry. God says that Tyre will never be rebuilt. God knew what he was talking about. Again, it shows the infallibility of God's word. In this chapter, God has made the prophecies very accurate. Tyre would be destroyed and never rebuilt. Sidon would be judged, but not totally destroyed. And today, after approximately 25 years, Tyre is gone and Sidon still lives on. The beauty and the infallibility of God's word. Verses 25 through 26. Thus says the Lord God, when I have gathered the house of Israel from the peoples among whom they are scattered 
and am hallowed in them in the sight of the Gentiles, then they will dwell in their own land, in which, uh, which I gave to my servant Jacob. Notice who he gave the land to. His servant Jacob. This is critical to understand in the day that we're living. Who think that land, the, land, the land belongs to somebody other than Israel. And they will dwell safely there, build houses and plant vineyards. Yes, they will dwell securely when I execute judgments on all those around them who despise them. Then they shall know that I am the Lord their God. This is speaking of Israel's future blessing. God says, I'm going to gather Israel together again. Satan cannot interrupt or stop God's plan with the children of Israel. Though the whole world is wanting to come against Israel. And in chapters 38 and 39 of Ezekiel, we're going to see that prophecy written there. God is going to be sanctified by Israel. And in the latter days, when Israel has come back into the land and they're invaded by a force that's much mightier than they are, God's going to be sanctified in Israel. There's going to be a force that will include areas of the former Soviet Union, the southern part of the Soviet Union, Iron, Libya, I'm sorry, Iran, Libya, Ethiopia, Gomer, Togarma, areas of Turkey, some of the Balkan state, and an alignment of Muslim nations that will come against Israel, and God's going to step in and destroy them. God is going to destroy these invading forces with supernatural demonstrations, giant hailstones, lightning, and earthquakes like never before. God's going to destroy this invading army. And, then, and God says, then I will be sanctified in them in the sight of the heathen. And the Jews will recognize, hey, Jesus is our Messiah. So God's gathering of the people in verse 25 is referring to what he'll be writing about, like I said, when we get to chapter 38. Verse 25 again says here, when the people who have been scattered and I will be sanctified in them in the sight of the heathen and they will dwell in the land that I have given to my servant Jacob. Then Israel will recognize that he, is, that he is God and Israel will turn to God and Israel will be saved. As Paul said in Romans eleven twenty five through 26, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer, Jesus Christ, will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. So in closing... This is still future. This is still God's future work. He's not through with Israel yet. Their day is coming. God still has to, do, has to deal with them and to chasten them and to bring them to himself. And again, we'll get into that as we move further on into Ezekiel. But God is still busy with the judgments on the neighboring nations. And when we get into chapter 29 and 30, we'll be dealing with God's judgments that are going to come against Egypt and why God will be judging Egypt. Father, we thank you once again for your word, for the infallibility of your word, God, for the, sure, the sureness of prophecy, Lord. And Father, as we see the prophecies being fulfilled, Lord, in our day, God, it, it encourages us that, to, to, to trust in your word and to know that your promises to us, God, will, will be fulfilled, God. The Lord, we can trust your word. We can stand upon it, God. And so, Lord, help us to do so, God. Let us not doubt. Let us not give up. Let us not question your word as, as Eve did in the garden, Lord. But let us hear those words, thus says the Lord. For it is written. And God's word, not one word of it shall fail. 
So, Lord, we thank you for the the surety of your word. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. God, we thank you that you saved us in spite of us, God. So, Lord, we give you glory and honor and thanks. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Sunday morning, we'll be back in...